Welcome back to the Better Way podcast brought to you by RNG Insights Lab. This is a curiosity podcast where we ask, there has to be a better way, right? There just has to be. I'm Zach Koselia, the co-founder of RNG Insights Lab, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Hui Chen. Hi, Hui. Hi, Zach. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to everyone out there. Happy New Can Year. Can you believe it is, it's 2024? It's 2024. That's pretty amazing. So, Hui, what are we going to talk about today? I think we're going to try to take a peek uh, at the beginning of the year. I don't like the word prediction, but trying to um, trying to look at what we think might be some of the trends and where things might be moving in the world of ethics and compliance in 2024. Terrific. Well, let's dive right in. What is your first non-prediction for 2024? <laughs> it's basically, you know, my mind, like so many people's, go to where AI um, is going to take us. So 2023, of course, I feel like has been the year when sort of AI got on everybody's tongue um, and uh, there was almost some kind of incessant hype um, of ChatGPT and what it's doing, what jobs it can do for us, what jobs it might be threatening to replace, all of those. Um, and I think in all of that conversation, the compliance profession like everyone else, you know, in 2023 was very much still grappling with what could it do and some experimentations about, oh, well, let me try to use ChatGPT for this and see how, you know, see how it comes out. I think this is a technology that evolves so quickly that I think in the technology itself, we're likely to see major breakthroughs. Um, in a lot of things that it couldn't do in 2023, it's going to move towards a lot of a lot greater capabilities. What does that mean for the people in the in the corporate organizational space? Um, in terms of corporate strategy, I think for business, for sure, companies are going to increasingly use those for all kinds of business purposes. I think compliance, and ethics professionals have an opportunity here that they can shape how these technology is used for business purposes. They can even have a voice as all the governments around the world is trying to grapple with the ethical issues involved in this technology. But all of this requires us to truly embrace the technology and just throw ourselves into learning you know, about what it is. And, and I think that really needs to be the first step because certainly in 2023, what we observed, Zach, is a lot of people really are using a lot of terms without really understanding what they are. Um, so, so I honestly started seeing people using the word AI to refer to things that spreadsheets have been able to do for decades. Um, you know, so, so Telling the spreadsheet to generate a graph for you is not really AI. Um, that that's been that's been available technology for quite some time. It's just simple software, AI, machine learning, um, just software capabilities. We know the business people are embracing them, and they're they're using them 
And in order to understand the risks involved and the risks and the ethics involved in the use of these technology, you got to understand them. Yeah. So where do you see the the biggest opportunity? Is it in ethics and compliance professionals becoming more versed in uh, emerging technologies, including AI and generative AI and machine learning, so that they can advise the business on the risks of using them to advance commercial goals? Or do you see it as an actual tool to make compliance better? It's both. But so far, the chatter I've heard in the ethics and compliance space is mostly focused on the latter. So how how do we, in the ethics and compliance function, use these technologies? I have not heard much at all about compliance and ethics professionals being in a role of a valued advisor in having conversations with their business partners about how the business is using these technologies. You know, the ethical use of AI um, is a conversation that's going on at the congressional level, at the international regulatory level. I'm not hearing the voices of ethics and compliance people in those discussions. Yeah, let's take those actually in turn, but start with the latter, which is how these new technologies, how generative AI uh, can be potentially used for compliance purposes. I'll share with you one of, I think, one of the lowest of low-hanging fruits that I see, which actually reminds me of conversations that I was having when I was in-house 10 years ago. Uh, At the time, we were using the phrase chatbots to help employees understand the requirements of a policy or to understand the policy environment more generally, to actually use that technology to eliminate the sometimes burdensome volume of questions that compliance professionals get about what is allowed and what isn't, about what the expectations are and the accountabilities are and what the expected behaviors look like. And I think that that goes beyond just compliance. I think that any kind of enabling function within an organization, compliance, legal, HR, information technology is probably burdened with those kinds of questions. And so to me, 10 years ago, when we were having these conversations, it seemed like a good idea. And I think there was often energy and momentum, but the technology at that point wasn't uh, ready to be able to enable those sorts of things in a cost-efficient um, and uh, uh, an effective way. Now they are. And so that to me is the lowest of low-hanging fruit. How can we either reimagine our policies or simply reimagine the way that we communicate policy requirements and expectations to employees using generative AI? There is certainly um, a good amount of chatter about that usage. There is also some nervousness related to that. Of course. Right? Because... What if it's the one answer it gets wrong is the one that's really critical? Um, I can imagine, for example, that you get uh, someone who actually puts in a somewhat slightly more complicated pattern than usual or not giving the chatbot enough information. And uh, chatbot doesn't know to ask question back. Um, so, you know, when a lot of times people ask compliance questions, you know, we ask 25 questions back because we need to understand more. Um, that's what chatbots and Gen AI is still not very good at, is asking questions back and probe the, the people who are asking the questions and issue spot. So 
but this is not to say the technology will not continue to improve. It it may it it is going to get better and better at that. But I do think that is a space that a lot of people are thinking about deploying that technology. But certainly, they would want to do so with a great deal of caution and a good amount of uh, monitoring and testing and making sure that the system continues to learn from the mistakes it makes. What else are you hearing chatter about? Honestly, I, I really do hear more chatters based on misunderstanding mm. um, than than actual use. And, and I do think that speaks to why I think is really important for people even just to take a couple of hours to read up on, you know, the materials or uh, listen to uh, Ruman's podcast from last year. Uh, that would be helpful. Also, Shannon um, and, you know, her her podcast addressed a lot of these issues as well. So your, your thinking is in terms of, again, not a prediction, but a potential trend that we might see in 2024 is maybe less focus on the operationalization of advanced technology and more just getting smart so that you're able to make decisions about what technologies maybe we want to operationalize and where there may be use cases that actually align with compliance. Absolutely. I, I do think a lot of people do start to uh, attempt to operationalize without understanding. And that's just, you know, that that's where mistakes are made or, or investments that are, that turn out not to be so great. The first thing you want to do before you seriously want to think about deploy something is, you know, is understand it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It actually very much, I think, connects to the other part of the AI discussion and the gen AI discussion more specifically uh, in terms of how compliance and ethics professionals can actually be advisors to the business on these things. I actually think that that is a huge opportunity uh, because as the business continues to look for ways to use these tools to advance commercial goals, to advance their core business, I think there's a tremendous amount of risk associated with it, um, just as there is in the operationalization and the compliance space, but a whole host of different risks uh, from the, the quality uh, of the underlying data to the validity of the information that it's pushing out. We're talking about bias in the data, both in terms of bias that may be just giving you improper results or inaccurate results, but also bias in the data that may actually be illegal or problematic or against your values as an organization. And I think that part of the reason why you've heard less about ethics and compliance professionals being those advisors is because I actually think you need to deeply understand the That's technology exactly. in order to be able to be an effective uh, a counselor or advisor to the business on these things. And so part of what I see as an opportunity is not just the getting smarter on the part of uh, ethics and compliance professionals, but also HR professionals who are involved in how these things are being used from a training perspective or from a 
uh, uh, from a talent management perspective or from a recruiting perspective or from a DEI perspective um, and others across an organization. It's more, it's more than just those existing people getting smart. I think it's also about what skill sets do we need in the team to be able to advise on these things. I personally, if I was going to be advising commercial leaders, business leaders on the risks associated with, with, with AI and, and, and emerging technologies, I wouldn't just want the smartest lawyer in the room. I'd want Ruman Chowdhury in the room. You know, I'd want ethics experts who understand the technology. And I, I, I hope that we see more of that kind of multidisciplinary team approach uh, as a way in which the functions that support the business are able to more effectively support them. Oh, without a question. This is something the kind, you know, really uh, an ethics and compliance professional really should be having input on is, you know, if we're going to have a governance structure about how we use AI as a business organization, who should be in that governance body? You need lawyers, you need business people, and you need the people who understand both the technology and the ethics of it. Good, you know, sound business decisions are made when you have these different expertise uh, complementing each other and challenging each other uh, in a room. And, and I also think this discussion, interestingly, mirrors what I've always thought of as the ethics and compliance distinction, the ethics versus compliance. This is actually not about compliance because there is no rules right now for you to comply with. Yeah. That's the essence of compliance is that there is a rule and you follow it. You make sure your organization does what the rule requires. This is now an ethics space. We've got this new frontier that we're all entering. What does that mean for us yes. as an organization? How should we be using it? How should humans interact with this technology? How, what does that mean for our business model, for our customers, for our suppliers, for our employees, and all of those ethical questions? That's right. It's not the what can we do. It's the what should we do. Exactly. Or not. Exactly. It's an unprecedented opportunity, really. I mean, it, it's not often in history where we have an entire sort of society transforming technology that's quickly um emerging and dominating the, the people's daily lives. And it's happening so fast that there is very little regulation in place. And this is an opportunity where you can not only influence your organization, but you can influence what regulations and rules do come into play. For sure. I want to share one of my thoughts for 2024, which is I think a a offshoot of of the one that you've just shared, uh, but but I'm going to put a slightly different spin on it. I think that um, what we are likely to see, um, and what I feel like I'm already seeing, is a bit of a technology reckoning in some of these spaces, and and I say that as a distinct thought from what you've shared because I think that what folks are going to realize is that there are a lot of places where the solution that they need is actually something short of the shiniest, most modern, uh, most sophisticated gen AI powered tool. And in the wave that's that I think we're all riding right now because of the very real, but also sort of pop culture influenced uh, attention to 
uh, Gen AI, I think folks are going to start seeing other technology opportunities, um, ways that they can make their processes more efficient, ways that they can ensure that their human capital is being spent doing the most strategic value-added tasks uh, and using other technologies to support more routine and rote activities. In order to really be able to successfully implement the most sophisticated machine learning, AI-powered, gen AI-enabled solutions, you got to love and curate and manage and connect your data. And I think that folks are more and more realizing that in order to win this game, they've got to treat their data itself as an asset. And there may actually be a lot more effort and energy and success that fall short of the most sophisticated gen AI, but that actually is getting people on the path toward being able to implement more sophisticated solutions in the future. You know, we didn't plan this conversation, but it's like one topic dovetails another so perfectly. Um, that exactly leads to the the point, the next point that I would I would want to make, which is about the tra- transformation of data analytics. Mm. You know, I think twenty twenty three is yet another year where data analytics has gained more recognition and acceptance in the in companies ethics and compliance programs there's no question that it's a concept that's here to stay but what certainly i have seen so far is similar with the sort of lack of full understanding of of ai and associated technologies there is some mystique about the term data analytics and it's it's interesting. You interviewed Matt Galvin from DOJ uh, on the on data analytics. Last year was the first year that he's been full year in that position. So obviously, bringing more prominence to the use of data analytics uh, by having someone in that role for a whole year in 2023 and now continuing. Uh, he says something along the lines of. A lot of he encountered a lot of companies who talk about data analytics as some kind of spiritual concept that to which they haven't had the awakening. Um, and and I, I I thought that was hilarious. Um, and uh, and I do think that's true. What I see is a lot of um, again misunderstanding and misusage of the term, particularly from those who are not really doing it. I, I feel like there's a some kind of pressure that if you're not doing data analytics already then you feel like you should be doing it, but then you don't really know how. So you just sort of dress up your old metrics and call them data analytics. Recently, somebody presented to me their, you know, data analytics. I mean, literally they gave me a slide that says, you know, our compliance program data analytics. And all it is is like how many trainings they conducted, how many third parties they vetted, how many people they have, how many hours they worked. I was like, that's not data analytics. That's your KPI. And in fact, that's actually sort of the old-fashioned KPI, not even the, the really updated KPI um, for, for your compliance program. And and sort of, well, just calling it data analytics ain't going to make it so. But but I, I think part of the continued growth of um, data analytics is also enabled by exactly what you say, the, the expansion in technology. When if you were trying to do this five, 10 years ago to build a data analytics platform for your company, yes. it would cost yes. a lot of person hours and it would cost you millions. Now, 
there are multiple vendors that basically have very good out-of-the-box solutions that you can deploy right away with really, you know, pretty minimal efforts at, at customizing. Of course, you can you can make it more more sophisticated, you can customize more, but if you just want to do something basic, it's for a company, it's not that hard. Yeah. It's it's a lot easier than it was five years ago. So um, so I think this advance in technology, which will certainly be, be fueled by this, you know, AI um, uh, trend, uh, is going to continue to certainly raise expectations about the use of data analytics. And now back again to the learning point, you know, none of that sophisticated technology or out there available tool is going to help you if you think your training completion number is the data you need to analyze those tools are not going to be all that helpful to you. Yeah, It really requires you to really, again, understand how do you use data to tell the story of your compliance? Yeah, wait, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's, it's part of the reason why we have a data storyteller on our team. It's part of the reason why we're building a team of data scientists. Um, you mentioned the, the interview that I did, uh, the fireside chat without a fire, uh, with with Matt Galvin in uh, at at that conference, one of the things that I thought was really special, actually, about that conference is that for the first time, I believe it was co-chaired by a data scientist and engineer, not a lawyer. Um, and this is someone who uh, we will have on the podcast uh, in short order, uh, who leads an analytics function within a large company's compliance department, and you need that. Um, to be able to really advance it. You've got to have the knowledge of the underlying expertise and the ability to think differently about how we can use the data to answer the questions that folks have and to tell the stories that they want to and need to be able to tell. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is what I call moving from data analytics to data narrative. What you really want is to use your data to tell a story that naturally compels people to action. Yes, Yes. I mean, what I hear and what I see and what we help folks with day in and day out is they've gotten to the place where they are using data to communicate compliance efforts, maybe compliance performance. But what's happening is people are feeling like they're getting a dump of data. Uh, they're getting numbers, they're getting facts and figures, and what they're not getting is a narrative, a story. And that's um, a big part of where I hope, um, and, and I do think we'll continue to see maturation over the course of the next year. Yeah, it, it has to be not just data, but what do they mean for for the, for the audience that you're pres presenting it to? And what do you want them to do with it? What do you want them to do with it? Yes, the overcoming the so what factor is I yep. think one of the biggest barriers and one of the biggest opportunities for compliance professionals and others within an organization that are supporting um, a, a business. Um, that That's one of the biggest opportunities to really um, add value. All right, what else you got? Well, we've talked a bunch about technology. It's probably time we talk about humans. So there's a couple of worries um, that that I have about just technology generally, um, as as sort of the, the the machine learning and the artificial intelligence takes over more and more rote tasks. I keep thinking, you know, that that's how humans learn too. This is how many professions have trained their newcomers from 
you know, medical interns to new lawyers. Certainly when I started, I did incredibly boring and mundane things like summarizing trial transcripts. But that was how I learned. I didn't know that then, right? I, I wish somebody had told me that, that yes, so somebody needs to be summarizing the trial transcripts, but the reason you're in this dark room doing it for eight hours a day for two weeks is not because we just need someone to do it, but you learn because it's like watching a trial up close because you're you're reading everything. You're seeing every question, every objection, how it's ruled, um, how, you know, the stories are laid out with each witnesses, you know, how does someone cross-examine? All of those you I learned by by having to read them. Now you can get a bot to summarize trial transcript. If not now, then soon, probably by the end of 2024. Uh, so, you know, we got to figure out ways for people to learn certain things because the way we used to learn may have been taken away from us. So that's sort of a general worry that I kind of have. I think we, we, we need to think about how we're training the new generation of workers in, in our profession generally. But I also want to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that all this technology is meant to make humans more efficient. And certainly in our ethics and compliance space is meant to help us to identify risks, human created risks and influence human behavior. And that requires you to have that focus on how human beings are experiencing all of this in the context of their organizations. You and I both have read a ton of company uh, policies and procedures. Um, and uh, one of the first things I experimented with uh, ChatGPT was to have a draft policy and procedures. Many times I have, re I have read policy and procedures drafted by humans that read like they're drafted from machi by machines, or at least sound like they are meant for machines to read. Um, and then you have a machine drafted policy that's actually plain language and very easy for human to read. I found that really ironic. Um, and, and I do think somehow whoever has, you know, built the chat GPT technology, remember that it's human beings that are using it. And uh, so they have produced results that are easy for human beings to use, whereas human beings sometimes forget that. Maybe there actually is an opportunity here for the human to become more human as a result of uh, a technology driven change in circumstances. You know, I think about what you just shared and your concern about folks losing some of those rote tasks that, you know, define the early years and the introduction into a profession and wonder, well, maybe it actually means that we'll accelerate progress because we'll start getting more substantive experience sooner. You know, we'll be in the room sooner. We'll be asked and forced to make decisions sooner. Um, we'll have tools that we can use like generative AI to help us expedite things that otherwise would have taken us a lot of time um, in ways that actually bring value to the human. Part of the reason why we created this lab is we want those policies to be more human. We want the training to be more human. We want the program to be built with an awareness of the human being who's on the other side of it. And we want the analysis that's being done of risk to be more than just policy-based, but people-based, that it's actually focused on behaviors. And I think that the only way we get there is if we actually put a premium on that and we make it part of the education. 
Uh, and so that's, that, that actually is this wonderful, unexpected, unintentional through line from everything that we've talked about today. You know, if, if we're going to use generative AI and other sophisticated tools, we need to get smart on them. If we're going to do data analytics more effectively, we need to get smart on it. We need to have experts in the room who can advise on these things as part of a multidisciplinary team and to combat some of the human challenges that may come out of the operationalization of these new technologies in ways that make the human role different. We need to train and educate and reset the expectations on our humans in ways that are going to actually create the future that I think we hope for, which is a more data-driven, but also a more human-centered form of compliance. What we're saying really is requires a lot of humility um, and, you know, and, and realizing that you always have more to learn, whether it's about uh, machines and technology, or is it about humans? And, and on the human side, a lot of it is just listening. This is something that we have talked about with various guests, you know, on our podcasts. Uh, and, and I know I've talked about it at conferences is the, the importance of listening. Listening can take many forms, right? So it could be you walking into the cafeteria and sit next to someone and, and listen to them, but it can also take more structured forms of surveys, cultural assessments. But what I really think is important is the sense of understanding humans through their stories. Stories sometimes capture so much that you can't even explain in other words. I mean, there were times that I would just say, you know what, instead of trying to explain all this to you in a lot of analytical sentences, I'm just gonna tell you the story. And by the time I finished the story, they'll be like, oh, that tell yeah, that's very telling. You know, you always got that reaction because when when you recount a story, there are layers to it about how people are interacting, how people are thinking. Are they able to grasp certain concepts? What do they think about those concepts? What those concepts mean to them? All of those can easily be captured in a story. And, and I think the listening and the storytelling have been really underutilized in companies' compliance programs efforts to understand company culture. Yes. And so I I think, you know, just just very more consciously inviting the storytelling from the people we listen to has been very informative to, you know, in, in the work that I certainly I've done since joining the lab. I, I, f I fully agree. And, and, and it leads me to my last uh, non-prediction, uh, my, my, my hope uh, for the future and, and the direction that I think we are very much going, which is normalizing true culture reviews in the way that we treat risk assessments as second nature. Uh, I think that increasingly we see folks realizing that culture is uh, at times their greatest organizational risk or one of their greatest organizational risks not just from a legal and ethics and compliance perspective, but also from a performance perspective. Um, and with that realization, I think we're seeing more effort being put into meaningfully assessing culture. When I say meaningfully assessing culture, or when I say doing a true culture assessment, what I mean is something more than uh, a couple of questions in an employee engagement survey or a periodic 
pulse survey that goes out to your employees or something more than a traditional liquor, multiple choice, strongly agree, strongly disagree question to your point about bringing out the stories of an organization and defining culture in some ways as the stories that folks tell about their place of work. And I think that there's a lot, there's a, there's a long way to go to truly normalizing that kind of more meaningful culture review, one that includes uh, more storytelling driven and more qualitative and quantitative data collection from employees, more focus groups, uh, more interviews, more intentional discussion about culture. Um, there's a long way to go, but I think that it's the future of, of, of ethics and compliance. I think it's the future of uh, of an effective and meaningful diversity, equity, and inclusion program. Um, and I think that it's critical to organizational performance. And so uh, I think we are on that path, but my, it's my hope that we continue and that maybe we even accelerate the work that's being done in that space. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think people are realizing the limits of the more traditional survey methods. Um, more often than not, I see surveys that basically have leading questions and very containing also concepts that can be very subjectively interpreted from one person to another. And ultimately the employee's choice is only to agree or disagree. They can't bring anything nuanced. They can't say yes, but, Uh, and that is, that really is severely limiting certainly as an employee who's taken them, I just feel like, but there's more I want to say. Like, can't you just give me a little space to enter free text even, right? Yeah. So so I think even that's a good start. But I think the, the barrier there is a lot of people don't know how to organize that qualitative data. And of course, it takes more time, but you can always start small. You can always start by just adding one free text box to allow people to say something at the end of your survey. That's a that's a place to start. I fully agree. And uh, I look forward to all of the incredible discussions that we're going to have over the course of the next 52 weeks. Well, with that said, Hui, thank you very much for another wonderful conversation as always. Thank you all for tuning in to the Better Way podcast and exploring all of these better ways with us. For more information about this or anything else that's happening with RNG Insights Lab, please visit our website at www.ropesgray.com dot com slash RG Insights Lab. You can also subscribe to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple and Spotify. And if you have thoughts about what we talked about today, the work the lab does, or just have ideas for better ways we should explore, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.